okay, I need to go back and listen to the messages and collate this perfectly eloquent answer. And uh, the Lord so gracefully says, stop. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And he's like, why is that your default setting? Um, And reminded me of um, what Sandra spoke about last weekend, which it's to be real, like it's, and, and this is what I loved about last weekend, there was a, there was a realness and a rawness, um, which w- what was spoken, and we need to be real for him to then do a work in our heart. So I want to be real, because this happened in the last hour, so he's beautiful like that when you're driving and you think you're going to have this beautiful, um, easy conversation with him, and then he smacks you over. <laughs> um, and... <coughs> The, the scripture he gave me was 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Um, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And when he gave me that, I realized when he showed me my heart in terms of of how I, my default setting was to try and come up with these eloquent words rather, rather than speaking of the testimony that, he, that he's doing in my life. Um, I realised um, that's me trying to put, put a face on and that's me trying to look strong and pull together and, oh, God's doing this work. And he, he is doing this work. And right now he's doing this work. <laughs> um, and he said, like, when this started, the beginning of this, he said, will you offer, offer up your perceptions of what poor in spirit is to me and allow me to redefine that? And it's, it's so beautiful because there is no shame, and that's so true, as when he speaks of poor in spirit, I see a promise, and I see that promise being fulfilled in my life. So when I see weakness, when he shows me the true state of my heart, which is ugly, <laughs> when you know you see a life without him, and I love what you said, Mel, it's the hellish reality. It is so true, but actually it's this beautiful testimony of his work within me and as I walk this out in in honesty and let's be real because I love that um that that slogan that's like the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem (laughs) I'm yeah but it's 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 true it's so true we're it's like, you know, like if we, don't, if we don't come to the realization of who we are without him, we'll never see who we can be in him. Um, and I just want to quickly read something. So he had me diving into Bird's Eye View. Um, and in chapter three, um, Greg says this How does one truly appreciate and value who Jesus is and the incredible love he has for us and his people if we do not understand who we are without him? It is the understanding of our true nature without Christ that has us in complete adoration, reverence, and awe of his love for us. And that's been my journey where there's still a lot of shattering that's happening, but I am so in awe of him and I'm so encouraged by what we've been hearing because it encourages me to press into him. It encourages me not just to settle for other people's digging because that can't impart revelation to me. The digging needs to come from me and he he will meet me in that place and he empowers that decision. And that's the exciting part is I'm like, I'm for that and I don't want a watered down version of him because I had that before I came to him. Like, I don't want that. I didn't come here for, uh, you know, to stay the same, you know, and, and that's what he's done in me and he's placed in me this hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I don't want to settle for anything less than that because that's who we are. And, and that's who we're called to become. So let's not settle for a, you know, a, a vision that isn't that. Um, yeah. That was awesome, eh? Don't want to settle for anything less, hey? To me, that, that summed it up, hey? You know? And it, you know, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and seek after righteousness, for they will be satisfied, eh? You know? And so there's something that he honours when our hunger collides with his goodness, eh? You know? And it's transformation, it's life. So thank you. That was awesome. 
All right, Kirsten. Same issue with the height here. Thanks. Um, that was awesome, Kess. I have put a little bit more <laughs> time into this because you're probably thinking, Kirsten, she's not normally up the front. And I just want to thank you, Sam, uh, for even giving me this opportunity because normally I hide away from this type of upfront stuff. And I guess the, the, the good thing about this is that I am talking about my own revelation and not about, you know, I am going to mention people's names, but, um, <laughs> but, but the, the, key, the key thing that I've been learning over the last year or so is that you can't speak out of something that you haven't kind of lived in. And, um, and so uh, that's why I felt okay to say pretty quickly, I think, sure thing, when Sam asked me if I'd like to talk. So, so I'm going to read because, you know, I'll try and ad-lib a little bit as well, you know, like Greg does. But um, <laughs> promise I won't speak for an hour. Um, <laughs> five minutes. I've only got five minutes. <laughs> For now, yeah. <laughs> okay, Sina, keep me on track. Okay, um, firstly, I just wanted to say how privileged I and all of us are to have the opportunity to listen to such godly wisdom and personal revelation on a weekly basis that we get here. I'm constantly reminding myself how blessed we are that our brothers and sisters care enough and become vulnerable enough to share what God has revealed to them. Because we have to come to an understanding, because we have to come to that only a true revelation of God should be spoken, it seems that every word that we hear is gold. That's how I feel anyway. I can honestly say that I am excited to be at banquet. And 99% of the time have switched on ears. But because you all know me, you know that there is a percent that I am easily distracted. Um, So, yeah, sometimes that 1% pops up now and then. But, oh, well. (laughs) You all have to forgive me because you're my brothers and sisters. Um, So we've been looking at Matthew 5, verse 3. The message says it like this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. When with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. And I guess that's the crux of what, I've, what has been imparted to me over, the last, over this series. When you're at the end of your rope. Both Luke and Noel spoke beautifully about this. Noel's image of being internally on your knees and not in a standing position has spoken to me about a constancy of humility. It's not a stand-up, kneel-down position, but a constant kneeling state. Wow. That's a position the Lord still needs to gift me, but one that I long for. The story of the woman um, caught in adultery and Jesus' response to her has always stood out to me. The way Noel, I think it was Noel, it wasn't you, eh, Luke? Great. Spoke about how... <laughs> the way Noel spoke about how after all the accusers left and she looked up into Jesus' eyes of love and grace. Wow, again. Lately, tears have flowed easily from me, which is a real change in my posture. I've been quite tough in the past. But thank God, Holy Spirit is softening my heart and he's giving me a revelation of his love, which is literally bringing me to tears. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and grace. Luke said the understanding of his past state of brokenness and where you have come from keeps him in humility. I love that idea of remembering but having a revelation of the love and grace that has lifted us out of the brokenness into wholeness. So I could go on, but I won't. Um, One day you might see me on the panel and then I could go on forever. (laughs) Or maybe I won't now because I just said that. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, to, sum up, to sum up my wee talk, um, I'll finish with quoting Noel. Remember, you are not the centre of the universe, but you are the centre of his universe. So, thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Kirsten, for being real and sharing and, and being honest. I think it, it's powerful, eh? and it enables all of us to be able to do that as well. So, so thank you. All right, without further ado, if I can invite the panel up, and we'll jump into to, uh, tonight's discussion. Executive service here, eh? Um, so as you all know, obviously we're looking at what it means to be poor in spirit. Um, and over the last number of weeks, we've heard about this, um, this breaking process um, that happens within us as we're, we're broken from, out of our own will um, and put back together with a new quality of life and a life that's lived for God. It's this poverty of spirit position isn't... It's not a weak position, um, and it's also um, not a position of weakness. It's actually a position of strength. As he, um, uh, when, when we talk, like we heard um, the other week from Chris, not not a position of brokenness that's a natural brokenness, but a spiritual brokenness that empowers and enables humility, um, teachability, um, and the ability to now live not just for ourselves, um, but for him. Um, and so we're going to pick up on a really what I believe a really, is a really important aspect of humility and this poverty of spirit tonight um, um, by um, looking at what it means to honour one another. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs um, 18, verse 12, and that's where we're going to kick things off. Proverbs 18, verse 12. Everyone there? All right, it says this. It says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Just a little verse, eh? A few words, but powerful words that really highlight um, this this poor in spirit position, this position of honour towards God um, and towards one another. And so honour is such a key aspect of what poverty of spirit looks like. You know, and when I sent out the, the message to the guys, uh, and as I was pondering on this throughout the week, the big thing that came to me was that, that honour is very different to flattery. You hear a lot um, about you know, what it means to have, say, a, a culture of honour, either in the workplace or in the church. Um, and so often you, hear, you, you, so often you can think that honouring someone means saying nice things to someone or, pre, um, or appreciating something about someone's gifting or their appearance or what they've done for you. But actually, honour and flattery are two very different things. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with flattery. If someone looks nice, it's actually really nice to tell them that they look nice. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But 
what what we hear here in Proverbs about honour goes so far beyond someone's physical appearance, their performance, their ability to do something well, um, and how well they serve you. Actually, honour is about being able to appreciate each other to such an extent that we can actually and genuinely learn from one another, that we know that we are richer, more fulfilled and stronger because of the, the, the giftings, because of just the, person, the other people that we walk with. Um, so honour is not about just appreciating something, it's about actually being able to receive from that person something that we wouldn't have been able to without that person. And so honour is about one another, but it's also about God, you know. Um, And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you honour me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You know, he talks about their traditions as traditions that have been learnt by rote. And so they were able to learn the traditions without actually learning who he was. They were able to go through the motions without the genuine honour for him as God, as Messiah, as Apostle, as Prophet, as Lord, to be able to receive the life of who he was on the inside of them. Um, And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight um, in tackling this topic. What is this honour that Proverbs 18 talks about? Um, So... We've got our expert panel um, who are going to dive um, deep into the subject, um, and we've got a few questions to work through um, before we break off into group discussion. All right, so I've got question number one, um, which I'll direct in the first instance to uh, Chris. Is what does it mean to honour God and other people? I guess uh, for me it's, it's a heart posture. Everything God did was out of love. And when you look at the Hebrew and the, the Greek versions of it, the, the Hebrew um, is based on uh, be heavy, be important, um, no majesty. It says love, it's based on love and respect. That's what the Hebrew culture is, love and respect, whereas the Greek one is based on the value and worth of a person. And it's based on what they've done. And how we see them in society is how much you honour them. So God's culture is totally different. It's based on love and respect, and which changes everything. And when you look at the way that he did things, I mean, when you look at, um, uh, it says that he goes to um, wash the disciples' feet. And we just think of that story of washing the disciples' feet. But in actual fact, what about the bit before it? And the bit there is that he's, he's, it says he knows where he came from and he knows where he's going to. So his starting position was God. He knew his starting position. And that's the thing that God's been really speaking to me more and more over these months is about where our starting position is. Because he knew who he was in God and because he knew where he was going, there was a stability about him. He didn't have to try proving himself or doing anything like that or lifting himself up. He just could be who he was, who God had created him to be. And it was out of love and out of that posture, you know, and uh, it's just such a beautiful honouring thing. It really is. Whereas man's way is where we try and do it ourselves. We try and do it, place value on somebody's worth on what they've done. And yet God never places it on what we do. It's on who we are. It's such a different aspect. Yeah, the big difference between honouring what someone does and honouring who they are, eh? Because you know? if, if it's about what they do, then you can slot in and out of honour based on performance, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if it's about who they are, you're recognising, actually, you add value to me just by being, not by, not by performing, eh, you know? And I think in the world, you know, like, it just even in the workplace, it's not wrong, it just, it's just not divine in the sense that your, your value is determined by your salary, you know? And to be appreciated, you get paid a certain amount, and your honour is, you know, you're honoured based on a, a monetary figure. But... In, in my personal view, as Christians, we should add so much more to the workplace than just our work. You know, my boss doesn't pay me f- for you know, like radiating the fragrance of heaven in the workplace. You know, 
they get that for free. <laughs> and I didn't even put it on my CV, you know. <laughs> but they should get a bonus, right? You know. But I'm, I'm being serious, you know. And I think that that is, you know, but in, in my mind, they, there's something about the way that we live that should attract people to us, you know. And... And people in that position, in, in my mind, are not able to honour, they, they don't honour Christ in me because they don't know, they know that I'm a Christian, but they appreciate and value um, what it is that's brought. And yet as the body of Christ, we're to, we're to come into a greater fellowship than that, than seeing someone from afar and wondering what is it that's on this person but to actually be able to share in true fellowship with one another, that, um, that it's constant giving and receiving, recognizing what God has placed on someone for your sake, not constantly wondering about why they are the way that they are. Does that make sense? You know, There's a greater level of fellowship and communion and intimacy when we actually learn who one another are and honor the person and the gift on the person um, as opposed to just their performance, eh? The um, it's a funny thing because that same fragrance can also be a stench, yeah. yes. and what they can't pay you for is who the inner man is or, or woman. You know what I mean? The inner the inner person, and it's this is something that becomes the the divine nature, the the character of God that starts to be expressed, the the integrity and the righteousness. And truth. These things are, are rich qualities that would be desired in any environment, including the workplace. And yet that, that very quality can also be a threat. And so the true man is not looking for the value to be given back from other people, but in the, in the knowledge of God that I know who I am in Christ and this nature is not something I'm performing, it's something who I am. And, uh, you know, I know that, um, that it requires a, a deep work that's being done within that actually is able to stay true to the divine nature that's formed within us. Totally, totally. And when you, when you live from this posture of humility and have a heart of honour, you know that people can only add to you and not take from you, hey? And so someone else's growth never... Um, it, it, um, it never takes away from you, you know? You know that when, so, when someone is thriving and is growing into the fullness of who they're called to be in Christ, that their growth can only help you now move into a greater fullness. It, it doesn't challenge you. It doesn't make you feel smaller. Someone else's um, you know, ability doesn't make you less actually it only facilitates a greater environment for your own transformation and growth, eh? you know? Um, and so I think that in my mind, you know, when we're looking at this, looking at this verse um, that says, you know, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honour. To me, there's a, there's a specific reason why it says that humility must be first and honour must be second. Otherwise, honour becomes flattery if there's no humility because you're giving someone lip service but in your heart you genuinely can't receive from them because you're constantly worried about them showing you up, looking better or do you see what I'm saying? Humility has to be number one and honour needs to be number two. When you are humble, your greatest desire is to learn from someone and not to show yourself as being better than that person, you know? And so humility, it, it, it is, it's the foundation. It has, to, it has to be there to be able to honour and appreciate one another. Otherwise, we're just in competition with each other, eh? You know? Yeah, and I think um, one of the things that stood out for me, and um, sorry, one of the things that stood out for me um, as we took off, and something Chris said was, it comes out of love, and to to honour God and to honour people was what does it mean to honour God and to honour people? And I just put, um, if you love God, you will love His people, and out of this love. 
becomes honour for God and his people. And I'm reminded of the scripture where it, um, it's talked about Jesus, and they say, when did we feed you? When did we do this for you? And, um, and Christ says, when you did to the least of these, you did to me. And so as we, we walk out this, this place of love, this overflow from our hearts, we will serve our brothers and sisters. We will serve those that do not know Christ. And, and they will see the love of God. And, in, and that God is being honoured as we honour one another for who we are. And I love that, eh? Because to me, what you're describing is true honour that comes because humility has been formed within someone. It's not honouring based on a title or a position, yeah. eh? It says, you know, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, you know, false honour looks like you appreciate someone because they hold a certain status. But what, what you're saying, you know, is that when you do it to the least of these, it shows that the honour and humility that is, is formed in you. It's not, a, it's not a matter of a hierarchical structure where you make everything look good for the boss and then treat your work colleagues like crap, you know. You're not doing things to be approved by men and to look good for men. But actually when a situation comes up when there's no one around and there's an opportunity to serve and to minister to the least of these, you do it because it's in you and not because you need recognition or you know, to, to try and get accolades or, or anything like that. Hey? You know? So looking at this, this passage, we've, it says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honour. What do you guys think about the start of the verse, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty? What's the destruction that he's talking about, and how does that relate to what we've heard over the last number of weeks? Sorry, was that one of those three-part question questions? (laughs) Um, When I first read that, I just thought of the garden, and I thought thought of pride, you know, the opposite of humility, and the pride of man. You know, through Eve, through Adam, to seek after something that was, you know, something of God's domain to to know good and evil, and um, and that led to their destruction. You know, it led to death. You know, which they weren't supposed to experience. Pride is a horrible thing, isn't it? <laughs> That's what uh, Satan fell because of pride, and it's in each and every one of us, and and the pride that we have. Uh, robs us of everything that's in him and he came to break that pride and through humility from us being broken our will being broken as you heard from Greg last week our will being broken you know God can do that work and, and he looks I mean when you look at all the the amazing men and women of God many of them were broken Broken because they tried to do it in their own strength to begin with, and then God had to do something that humbled them, that brought them to their knees, and that pride had to go. Moses was considered the most humble man on the planet, and yet he tried to do it, first of all, in his own strength, and he failed. It wasn't until he was brought to his knees that he actually came to that place of being able to be used by God. And that's the whole thing of us too. Are we allowing God to break us? Because the pride that's within each and every one of us, whether it's very loud and declaring, you know, or whether it's very quiet, and, you know, you can have very proud people that, that hold on to things that won't say anything, but they hold back. But it's still pride, whether it's out there or not. But it's in each and every one of us. It has to be broken for us to enter into the whole life of who God is. And it's amazing when, when, when God says these things, you know, I mean, he said, talks about John the Baptist. Who is he? Was he one of the guys in the, uh, in the temple? Was he one of the guys who, who was one of the chief leaders? Was he one of those guys that, you know, was I somebody? But he said, who did you go out to see in the wilderness? Somebody who was way out there that was a nobody. And yet what does he say in, in John here? It says, sorry, in Matthew says, uh, from these days until the day of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. That's not it, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Truly I say to you, among those born of women, 
There has not risen among anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is all muddled up. Compared to the human thinking and compared to the human way of the flesh on how we exalt people, and yet he's just turned it right upside down and everybody's scratching their heads thinking, what? How can this be? But it's not earthly thinking. It's a kingdom mentality. I think we're all hitting the same thing. The pride sits there as a killer of something. You know, and what was destroyed was our, our intimacy, our oneness, our fellowship, our communion with God. And it comes out of this, this choice that, that mankind has, has fallen into, which is that I will decide what is good and evil. I don't need you, God. And yet that broke and destroyed the very intimacy that God had uh, with Adam and Eve prior to the, that choice. And the opportunity is sitting there for every one of us to have that intimacy restored. And I think just on what, what you're saying, Chris, about Satan, you know, you know, the, this famous scripture about him that talks about his pride, it says that, you know, he says, I will ascend into heaven and I will be like the most high, you know. And it's interesting, eh? you know, like the, the essence of the demonic nature which is imparted to us by the fall and the reason why he fell was not because he lied or swore or had sex before marriage, it's because of his pride, you know? It's because he thought that he could be like God without God, you know? And it's that, it's that nature that's infected all of us. And this is when we're talking about falling on the rock. It's like what is broken is the spirit of pride that was in, inherited through Adam, but is... But you know, and, and this is why the gospel is a message of death and resurrection. It's death to everything that came through Adam and resurrection into a brand new life where we're actually and genuinely free from ourselves, free from needing to live to serve and please God through our own efforts, thinking that we can be like God, but without the very power and life source having been you know, being separated from the source of life, the tree of life that was in the garden and reconciled back in fellowship with God, you know, this is the new and living way, hey, you know. And when you see the gospel through that light, it's entirely different than a message of having to do good things and good works to somehow approve yourself to God. You never will because the issue is not what you do. The issue is what was inherited and what lives inside of you before the gospel. You know, And so the, the, the great mystery of redemption is Christ in us. He actually goes right to the root and gives us a brand new nature that is freed free from everything that came through Adam and um, and it is it's it's death to the old and resurrection to this brand new life hey you know um, so it is it's 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 massive um, the reality for the, of this for me is quite profound with the destruction um, before destruction the heart of man is haughty um, you know coming to the Lord at 33 and the experience I had down the motorway where I was you know, sort of skidding across the motorway, aquaplaning across the motorway um, as part of the way God um, revealed himself to me and then coasting up to the lights at the bottom of Kelson Hill and just having this revelation, well, a veil was taken off and having this revelation of the Lordship of God. And little did I know I was on a pathway to destruction because I did not have him. You know, and I, and I was ticking along quite nicely thinking everything was all good, you know, blind to the fact that, you know, there was, there, was, there was no possible way for me to um, be walking in humility that is talked about because it only comes from God. It only comes from having the Spirit living within us. And it wasn't until I had sight to see that there was someone beyond myself. And that, that, that lordship, revelation of his lordship, just put me in, in a place where I realised that there was something far greater than me. And all of a sudden, the throne, the, the, you know, this throne that I'd made up in my life that was, I was on, you know, I had to shift off, <laughs> and it took time, and it's still, and it's still, still happening now. But you know, he teaches you through just revealing of himself. You know, 
So then what, what does it mean for him to be Lord? A lot. <laughs> you know, I think there's, there's this whole posture of surrender that has to be expressed. And I, you know, I was just reminded again, of we, we've got this, this two-way part of the cross. So, Lord, I, I surrender to you. And, of course, this is what he wants, is a surrendered heart. And then it's going to actually be lived out, the sideways arms of the cross. And I think a beautiful example of this is um, uh, Jonathan is it, and David. Who was to inherit the kingdom after Saul? I mean, we obviously know the, what happens, but just in the, in the natural course of events, who was to inherit the kingdom from Saul? Jonathan was. Yet, while he's alive, watching what's happening and witnessing what is going on, what is something that Jonathan recognises and is able to honour? Is this something that's on David? And in that sense, Jonathan's able to give David his sword and recognise that the king is in front of him and he was going to be giving this, this up. So it takes this, this recognition of surrender to God being expressed out to others. And I, I witnessed this once at a, a, just a, a little ceremony of a gathering of some people through a, a course that had been completed and these people were coming up and they were honouring the person who had run the, the course. And I was thinking, this is a bit like puffed up. And then I realised, this is when the Lord showed me, it is being expressed out. Now it's more than just words one to another. It actually comes out of how I'm now going to live. So my, my honour and my respect for God has to be expressed amongst other people. And he'll challenge that with often somebody above us that we may think is not above us, which would make me having to be put myself under them. If I'm submitted to you, God, then I'm going to be put into submission with somebody else to see that expressed out. And that's going to take a, a divine work, and it takes and has taken a divine work in here to actually recognise grace giftings on others and to be able to honour God and the gift that he's put in, uh, put in others you know, I think of Greg, I think of Sam, Sandra, others, and you guys, so you have different giftings that is able to. I was just chatting with somebody um, this afternoon, and she may not realise how rich what she was sharing with me was speaking right into my situation. Now, to be able to honour her and receive takes a humble posture. Not, oh, you know, what are you? you can, nothing to add to me. Well, that's certainly not honour. That's pride. But it takes this, this place of humility to be able to receive and, and take what God is giving. Now I think of, you know, in the military, we're called to respect the rank. So you have a senior rank, officers, you march along in uniform, got your beret on or your cap, whatever, you'll salute. And the lesser must first salute the greater. So you'll honour, or rather you'll respect that rank. The only flip side around is if you've got the, um, oh, what do you call it, the cross. Old Willie Upper got it. Um, Victoria cross. At Victoria Cross, whoever's got that is automatically the senior. Um, so you, you, have to, you have to carry this out. But some of the people that you would have to salute in normal environments... You would not want to salute them. You don't actually have any respect for who they are, how they behave. But in that place, you're called to respect them. Now, the respect and the honour, two different things. I'm called to have to respect your your position. And I, and I link the, the honour and the admiration um, almost together that who you are, how you be, will demonstrate out of the way that you you act and the way that you be. And that will attract my admiration. And I will find that I will honour 
the grace gifting that is on someone because it's from God. And if I don't, I'm actually blocking what God is doing and not able to receive from him the way he is doing things. And I think that um, highlights a big difference between, you know, like natural respect and and true spiritual honour, hey, you know, is that, you know, you, you respect someone because of a position they hold, not because of the way that you see them live and want to live like that too, you know. It reminds me of Abraham and Melchizedek, you know, and Abraham, you know, who is an incredibly successful and capable guy of, you know, the, the, the man of promise sees Melchizedek and recognises something about the man that has nothing to do with the position that he holds. He wasn't a, he wasn't a physical priest, but he recognises something within him that he, this man is a spiritual priest and Abraham had the honour to tithe a, a tenth of all of his possessions to this person with no respect to his earthly position that he held but everything to do with what he saw demonstrated through a man who lived from righteousness hey? and that's the kind of honour we're to have for one another is being able to recognise the God in each other and the gifts in each other and be able to, to appreciate and draw from and, and see that you, you add such value to me um, and, and be able to, to give freely to one another because of that kind of relationship eh? it's interesting I mean uh, Peter was in a position of sitting there when Jesus takes his cloak off and then gets out a bowl of water and a towel and starts to wash their feet I mean that's unheard of Um, in those days you know the rabbi or whoever was their teacher didn't do that it was a, it was the job of the lowest servant that washed somebody's feet. It wasn't even the mid servant; it was the lowest servant. And here's Jesus doing this, and it was very. Uh, Peter found it very, uh, very difficult to take because I mean, what on earth do you think you're doing, you know? And so his pride was stopping him from receiving something. But Jesus was trying to get something across, and it's not just about washing everybody else's feet. It's actually about partaking of him. But he showed and demonstrated what it was to actually live a life that is different from what the world is. It's, it's totally different. And it's the, it comes out of that, that beautiful, humble spirit that is prepared to actually get down on its knees and help other people. And it's our pride that actually stops us from partaking Taking or, or receiving a lot more of what he has. And, and that's been a real challenge for me as well. I mean, when I came to this place, I thought I had everything down pat. Suddenly, everything's been uprooted and turned around the other way. But I've always known it like this. Suddenly, we're being challenged and changed. And suddenly, I, either I'm going to hold my old position my old wineskin or am I going to let that go and take a new wineskin and allow the new wine to come into it and everything that we're challenged on I mean God is building step by step by step and he's taking out as Gregor said each pillar each stake that we have put in by man that we thought was right and how we thought everything was going to be suddenly it's been taken out it's been uprooted and every time is the new decision to make. Like that so it's are we able to be able to humble ourselves and come into that? Because the kingdom ways are totally different from ours. As I'm learning, gosh, I've got a lot to learn. <laughs> Perhaps this is why Scripture says that your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, does not consider equality with God something. Uh, to be grasped, think back to what Sam just said about Satan and pride. What did he want? Equality with God. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Here we have Jesus, the suffering servant, even obedient unto death and death on the cross. So there's this example for Peter, who's full of pride, going, what are you doing? 
Yes, well, this is an example for you, Peter. It's going to smash your pride if you follow suit. And so that brings us into to the next question, is that why is honour so important in the context of the body of Christ? When you look at the disciples, here's Jesus telling them all about that he's going to Jerusalem. And next minute they're arguing between themselves who's going to be the most important, who's going to sit on this seat and that seat. It's like, hang on, how does, how does this even fit in? But that's, what the, that's a lot of what the body of Christ does. It argues over or tries to promote itself. You know, I, you know I've got this gifting. It's me and my ministry. I've got this on my life that everybody should recognize. Do you see that? And so we build upon it. Sometimes we have to try and step over a few people just to get where we think. You know, but that's okay because it's all done in God's name. It's, it's, that's fine. You know? So man's way is at the heart of it is we've got to actually do it ourselves our way. And if we fight each other... And it, when I look back over the years, um, I, I feel really quite appalled and shamed at what I've seen and witnessed in the body of Christ and how man's interest and in how to build their empire becomes more important than anything else. And we lose sight of what actually God is trying to do. And so that whole thing, Jesus said, you know, when they were arguing over themselves in this place of honor, it says, it is not this, this should not be among you. So is it among us? Is it among me? Is my attitude about what I can, what position I can get or what I can do or what I can do? You know, it's, it's this whole thing of putting me first. And at the root of it, itself. It's our will. It's our, we want to be noticed, we want to be recognized, we want to be accepted, we want to be loved, we want to be all these different things. And it builds up and builds up, but it comes out in different ways. And yet Jesus has shown us a totally different way, a totally different way. And his way was not based on people recognizing who he was. It wasn't based on his position or title or anything. He knew who he was in Christ. He knew who he was in God, I should say. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. And there was such a stability in him that he wasn't basing, looking for what other people were going to think about him. He, he didn't live in fear of that. And if we, if we live trying to please men or trying to be somebody, you know... You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Eh? Because we're going to be tossed to and fro all over the show. And yet Jesus didn't do that. And if we know who we are in him, that stability is there. So we can live out the life that he's created us to live, not through our ability, but through his. And after our, you know, our will has to be smashed, as Greg was saying, so that we can live that life regardless of what other people think of us. And you'll never be appreciated to the extent that you think you should be appreciated, eh? you know? <laughs> like, you'll constantly give and never receive the recognition that you think you should. You know? And it, it sounds funny, but actually there's really serious warnings from Paul and Peter and the, the apostles. You know, he talks about people who are false teachers being like ravenous wolves. You know? Why? Not, not because they're necessarily out to get people per se, but because they're so hungry for something that, shouldn't, that, that they shouldn't be needing. Their source of life isn't him, you know? And having not been satisfied in, in what Chris is saying, not being satisfied in God and having their source of life in God, they're seeking that through other people and through the praises of men that we hear about from the Pharisees as opposed to being bond servants of Christ, you know, being in him and, and living in him and having received his, his love and the substance of Christ on the inside and being free from the, the need to, to be needed and wanted and important, you know. And I think you, you see that in the body of Christ, but you see it in every environment, you know. You see it in 
um, and families, you know, as 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 mothers want to be needed by their children, you know, it's unhealthy. It's life sucking, and that's why it says a man should leave his mother and father and be, you know, joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Because he's looking to create and form something that is free from every natural earthly entanglement, eh? yeah. you know. Um, and so, yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? God's perfect plans, perfect design. You know, we're the the one flesh, and then we we're supposed to be one body. Mm. And Jesus's last words were, "I pray that they would be one." That's right. You know, Romans twelve ten says, "Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, mm. and honor, preferring one another." Mm. And how can we do this without God? You know, how can you put someone else above yourself right. without Christ, without the Spirit of God living within us? And, and what does that look like? I always like to think, what would that look like? You know, if, if I was looking after Luke's best interests and he was looking after mine, seeing, you know, the same, there'd be no need. Right. And they talked about in, um, in Acts, in the beginning of that, there was no need in the community because everyone was putting what they had in for everyone else. Yeah. And so if you had plenty, you'd put in those that had little. So everyone had, you know, and that's in the physical, but it's the same in the spirit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Just saying, you know, as Greg and um, Chris was sharing the vision that Greg had where the these um, pegs, which are pillars that we have stuck in the ground, we being the church or our mindsets, that this is how things are done. You know, discipleship being one of them. We've got this box that looks like discipleship. On Wednesday night, seven thirty to nine thirty, maybe if you extra spiritual to ten, and there we go. There's discipleship. Good. Wednesday's done. We've just put that in a box. After a while, we can pull the box back and go. It's all about the box because we've got the box shaped exactly what it is. Is actually you're so concentrating on the box, you forgot what's inside it. So we're going to pull the box down, take that peg, and throw it away. So you're actually now left with what the discipleship is. So these pegs are coming out and getting tossed away of everything that we've built on a foundation that's not of him that we're left now with no pegs. Well, now what am I going to do? You're going to rely on your intimacy with God and your communion with him that you're going to find that you're going to need to walk in discipleship with others and you'll find a communion with one another that's actually built on him, you'll be able to recognise that you're able to honour one another and receive from one another because it's not about something that you've made and shoved a peg in the ground and said, here, look what I've built. Sounds like a position of weakness, Paul. You say, having to rely on someone else. <laughs> For the recording, Paul said... It's so weak, it's almost a fortnight. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The weak, things, the weak things of God confound the wise, you know? Um, and I think, you know, when we were talking about pride before, you know, we're, we're marked with the king's seal. You know, if anyone should be prideful in the world, it should be the sons of God, the people of God, you know? But the kingdom is so opposite to the world. You know, we're, we're true royalty, sons and daughters of God. And so when we look at each other, we should see royalty. And that, that's a way, I mean, if you, if you see yourself as family, if you see yourself as royalty, we're going to look to one another and we're going to want to serve each other because we see what we are. You know, and it's, and it's not, we've got to get beyond what these words on a page because it's a nice thought and it's all good to go, I'm the son of the living, the living king, you know, and I'm the son of God. But this needs to be coming out of us and it needs to be flying through us, this, this place of honour. Yeah, jokes aside, it is a place of weakness. All those pegs must go. And then what am I left with? I'm left with nothing that I've built. Nothing. You know, that's why I'll preach Christ and Christ crucified. Because there's nothing left of me. Got nothing left. What do I bring to the party? Nothing to offer except a broken heart that you made me. What can I offer you? This. And yet you love me. And this is what I want. That's what he wants. Just want your heart. I love me. Let me fill you. Let me fulfill you. And it is totally not reliant on you. It's reliant on me. There's a scripture, you know, Jesus says, when, when you were young, you used to gird yourself and walk, and walk wherever you pleased. 
But when you became old, you had to stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Interesting, eh? Is, it, is that not so back to front to worldly wisdom, you know? Mm. That when you were young and capable and full of yourself, you could live for yourself and for your own will, being able to be in control of your own life. But when you became old or when you actually grew up in genuine spiritual maturity, you needed someone else to gird you. You needed someone else to dress you and to lead you somewhere where you would never go without being led that way, hey, you know? It's, it's such an opposite reality to, to natural strength, hey? Moses, uh, we've, we've often heard about Moses and how for 40 years he was taught the best schools, he was, had the best wisdom, he had all those different things, and he was royalty, he, was, he had every position and title he could think of. And yet God had to break that from him. And of course, as you know, he tries to do everything in his own strength. And of course, it goes horribly wrong. So he goes out to the back of the desert. And of course, he's there for 40 years. God is breaking everything down. Now he's doing, I mean, shepherding, which in the eyes of the Egyptians was the lowest form of of work. And yet he's lost everything. It's all been stripped away. The only thing that he's got left is a staff. Surely, you know, that one little percent we could hold on to. Surely that, you know, that little bit of stuff we could hold on to. That should be, I mean, we give most of it back to him. So surely that's okay. But what does God say to him? The staff is the only thing he's got left of any sort of form of ID. Identification. And God says to him, let it go. May it fall onto the ground. And it took guts actually to actually drop it. And turns into a snake, and of course, then he says to pick it up. You see, when God tells you to drop something or to throw something down, it's for our best because He's redefining it, and then He's able to pick it up, and suddenly it becomes a rod of authority. Before it was just a shepherd's thing, but now it's a rod of authority because it's got God's empowerment there, where it didn't have before. And we try to hold on to things. Because it's that pride in us that we've got to hold on to that last little bit of any sort of recognition. And God's actually wanting us to let it go so that he can redefine it. And it turns out far greater and far better than what we can think of. Again, our mentality is loss rather than gain. And so it's a beautiful thing when we have to let it go, even though it's really, really hard. But it's exactly what God wants us to do. He's, He's humbling us. Do we have any questions? Any questions at this stage specifically related to what we've been looking at tonight? Um, just for me, the um, messing up thing. That, um, it's okay being the children of God. We're, um, it's okay for us to mess up with however things work out, however you might be growing up about things. It's okay for something other than that to, to go on. It's okay for you to mess up with someone Yep, absolutely. That's the message of the gospel and the message of redemption. Um, I'm not sure that's specifically related to the topic of, of honour, but we can talk about that more, more later. Anyone else with questions specifically related to, to what we've been looking at tonight? Can I just clarify what you were saying there, Chris, um, with the loss and the gain? Were you meaning that we see it as loss rather than gain? Yeah, because when, we, when we've got something that um, God is, when we think like for a gift, we think we've got this gift, but God is saying, I want you to lay it down. And you think, well, why? It's, it's the gift you've given me, so why should I lay it down? But it's actual fact that he's trying to redefine it. Okay. And I remember when uh, years ago, Sandra and I were running this uh, music group and uh, strings and everything like that, and it was going really, really well. And uh, we were getting asked to do a recording with one of the top um, 
artists within New Zealand Christian circles and things like that. We were getting invitations here, there and everywhere and it was really amazing. And we were praying about which ones do we accept and then God said to us, can you lay it down? But God, that's not what we're praying. (laughs) But it was actually a defining moment because we thought it was loss and it was really hard laying it down completely. But in actual fact, I look back now and think that's a redefining moment because we obeyed and he blessed us. It took a long time before we actually played again. Uh, that, But it was purely because God was able to do something. And then when we started playing again, it was totally different because our hearts had been changed. And he'd totally redirected your perspective, hey? Correct, mm. yeah. The other thought I just had around the um, when you were talking about when we know who we are in him, uh, we can be secure and um, the pillar of strength. Um, Sam, you were talking about that and Chris all of you, um, the the pillars around, you know, that um, Greg's vision. And I just got this picture of, you know, the, those little um, tent pegs that within the um, actual physical tent, they hold it in the structure of the tent, they hold it in place. But when they're all taken out, it's like you're just um, standing in the middle with the tent flying away and you're exposed. But actually it's almost like those temp pegs were never supposed to be there to keep you secure anyway. You then, he's enabling us or he's speaking to us about actually being that pillar itself, yeah. like so that I become the pillar of strength and hope and truth because of I don't need those anymore as my stability posts. Does that make sense? Yeah. Not tossed to and fro, literally, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's... There's a reason why the song says, you know, like, on Christ the solid rock I'll stand, you know, because he is that pillar of stability in us. Eh? Two more questions. Two more questions. Is there something for us to be pressing on for with this? Absolutely. Life in Christ. That's what we're pressing on for. But you know, I, I wanted to pose a question to us all. And it may be a rhetorical question, so maybe you don't need to answer it verbally, but do answer it inwardly. Why is it that in battle that men would place themselves in a place where it's highly likely they will die under the leadership of, a, of another man who's going to uh, lead them into the thicker battle. Now, I, I was in the territorials for seven years. I never went to battle. No one ever shot at me. But in the training, you start to get an understanding of camaraderie and what it's like to to um, work so closely with each other. But I have been in what's called a live fire battle drill where you don't run around going bang bang anymore. You go around pulling the trigger and real bullets come out the end of it. At that point you need to be absolutely sure that the guy behind you knows what he's doing because those are real bits of lead flying out that, that gun. And it's, the, the intensity of the situation just skyrockets. And I can only imagine what it might be like when there's bits of lead coming back this way. What would drive somebody to put their absolute trust in another leader who where there's honour now, true honour, because this one is saying, we're going to do this. Paul, I need you and Nick, you to go do this. Chris, you, Mitch, you, this way. And they'll, and they'll go, literally go. And why would they do that? Other, other cases where they've absolutely got no choice, someone else saying, over the, over the bank and off you go. But I'm talking about where you would absolutely um, honour the person who's leading you to actually lay down your life and face the real fire. 
and in a place like this where Christ is at work in all of our lives, that there gives uh, opportunity for us to honour the word of God that is working amongst us and been placed on imperfect people who are being made perfect through the work of the gospel in us to honour what God is saying and what God is doing that drives us to lay down our life out of, out of trust and out of faith in what God is doing. What would that look like? How will my life look if that is what I'm doing? How beautiful it is that Christ would demonstrate it all for us. Exactly what you're talking about, you know? That he would lay down his life, that he would show himself trustworthy, that he would go through everything and more than we would ever go through. You know, that's, that's someone you can follow. You know, to death and into life. All right. You guys were led off the hook by Paul. <laughs> um, but we're going to break into groups now um, for the last 25 minutes. Um, Michelle has sussed us some questions. Um, and um, we'll dialogue together about what this true honour looks like. Thanks, guys.